This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Thursday, May 12th. I'm Julia Caulfield. In today's headlines, local governments talk wildfire mitigation, Telluride stands with Ukraine in benefit concert, town park upgrades nearing completion, and a mountain weather forecast. Wildfire is a reality of living in the West. With Colorado seeing some of its worst fire seasons over the past few years, local governments and agencies are taking action to try to limit the impact. This resilience project would aim to minimize wildfire intensity and to protect homes and critical infrastructure in the towns of Telluride and Mountain Village. We're not going to be able to stop wildfire but we could reduce the intensity. That's Megan Eno, Norwood District Ranger for the U.S. Forest Service, speaking at an intergovernmental meeting on Monday. For the time being, the Community Resilience Project is looking at the upper San Miguel watershed, with a focus on the hillside between the towns of Mountain Village and Telluride. It's a multi-government and agency project with the U.S. Forest Service, San Miguel County, the Colorado State Forest Service, the West Region Wildfire Council, and the towns of Telluride and Mountain Village on board. This would be a project that would address the hillside between the town of Mountain Village and Telluride, and that that is a multi-landowner endeavor. And we're going to need all of these partners together to make sure that the work that we do is consistent and that all of the partners understand their roles and that we're really helping those private landowners with their piece uh, because they're just as critical to this. This is not a project that we could implement on Forest Service lands alone and be successful. Eno notes the main goal of the project is to reduce crown fire activity. It's when fire is literally climbing across the treetops. Um, a healthy wildfire, like when we do uh, prescribed fire activities, typically travels along the ground um, and is helping to reduce the vegetation that way. When an entire tree is on fire and is burning from crown to crown, right, top of tree to top of tree, it can spread very, very quickly um, and also maintain a heat and very high flame lengths. And so one of the primary objectives would be uh, to thin the vegetation enough that fire isn't traveling from treetop to treetop. She says another goal is to allow space for firefighters to protect structures. If flame lengths are already three times the length of the trees, um, it is very cool. It will burn very quickly and travel very quickly, and it's difficult for responders to be effective. And I'm sure many of you have seen over the last few years the way that these wildfires have grown. You go to bed one morning, then you wake up the next day, and it's grown 100,000 acres. And so it really behooves us to be proactive when it comes to thinning the vegetation behind our communities um, so that we can give our responders even an opportunity to address that fire before it grows beyond our ability to to protect infrastructure. Tied in with that is thinning vegetation to keep firefighters safe. If you've ever seen firefighters in action, especially our wildland firefighters, they can move through the landscape when it's on fire if we've got a low burning fire. Um, Once it reaches a certain intensity, the only thing we can do is back up and pick a new line to try to defend. So another key objective here is to try to make sure that our responders are safe and they have an opportunity to get to that fire. Finally, Eno says the goal is to maintain emergency evacuation routes out of neighborhoods. Many of us live in communities that have a single ingress and egress. And so it is very, very, very important uh, that those are protected and that we're planning uh, to be able to get people out of those communities as we're trying to address any potential wildfire. From a non-wildfire standpoint, Eno adds a forest resilience and management project could also help with aspen regeneration, age class diversity among trees, and a reduction of post-wildfire water quality impairment. 
The project is still in the conceptual phase, but Eno says they're looking to have more conversations with the community in the coming months. She notes in those discussions, it's important to acknowledge the project will change the landscape. If we want this project to be successful, it does mean we're going to need to remove a significant amount of vegetation. That hillside will look different. And when we start to have those conversations, the thing we want to remind folks is, is that a healthy hillside could potentially withstand and endure a wildfire and recover from it. If we were to do nothing, that fire burns hot and fast and removes all of the vegetation on the hillside, we're ultimately starting over. And so while initial reactions may be, gosh, that is a lot of vegetation, the bottom line is, is yes, but that vegetation is more likely to survive and we'll be more able to protect our communities as that fire bears down on us if it happens. According to Eno, the coalition plans to continue engaging with the community over the summer months with field visits in the fall. She says the Forest Service could create plans for National Environmental Policy Act approval in the winter. While the project is starting in the Upper San Miguel area, similar projects could extend further down the watershed in the future. On February 24th, Russia invaded Ukraine. In the two and a half months since then, news of the invasion has stayed in the news, but floated at times to the background. Abortion, Elon Musk and Twitter, inflation have grabbed the headlines. But Yana Pollard wants to keep Ukraine front and center. In March, Pollard traveled to Romania to help family escape from Ukraine as the war intensified. When I flew back from my trip, the number one story was how Will Smith hit someone. And it kind of faded out of the headlines really quickly. So I think it's so just important to kind of uh, draw attention to the issue again and remember, because now more than ever, I think people need help over there and people want to help. To keep the momentum and support going, Pollard is teaming up with Sean Mahoney, a local musician and member of the Telluride Arts Board, to host a benefit concert to raise money for Ukraine. The huge stage of the transfer warehouse is a nice live aid field to have um, a lot of bands coming through and a lot of different people hopefully coming to support um, the event and with music and food and drink. Music will include For My Family, a duo comprised of Liz Forsyth and Jeff Miller, The High Country with Claybrook Penn, Jeff Alexander and Warren Gilbreth, and Mahoney's own Flatliner Express. Pollard notes what started out as a conversation between two friends quickly expanded. And in just classic Telluride fashion, um, my one conversation with Sean about doing a concert um, kind of exploded and we have uh, Latin Creations is going to come and sell tacos. They'll donate some of their proceeds to an organization. Um, On Main of Telluride, the flower shop that's going to be opening up, they donated a bunch of sunflowers that we'll be um, selling for donations. There's a fifth grade class that wants to do a bake sale to also um, donate um, money over there. So yeah, a lot of people came together. Mahoney adds the concert is an opportunity for the community to actually do something. A lot of times we feel powerless in a modern era of being able to change things and with so many seismic changes going on in America and the world, it just feels nice to focus in on one event and one way we can help and knowing that Yana has such a personal connection to it, it means a lot to the rest of us in this community to say, how can we help and how can we do something when you can see such, I mean, I'm not sure another word for it than such evil going on in the world, that how can we send good over there from our community that's always come together for good causes and the kind of people here that just put their boots on and show up for things is a great feeling and a really important part of our community. 
For those who are unable to attend the concert but want to take action, Pollard says it's a moving target. It's a very ever-changing situation over there. Um, and uh, where I'm from, Odessa, there's actually like fires getting closer and closer and they've been bombed heavily. Um, so a lot of the organizations I was working with, they're struggling right now. Um, a big organization that helped me when I was actually in Romania trying to get my family out of, off from the border was um, Monsters Corporation. Um, they have been helping with the resistance since 2014. So they are like very tapped into what's going on um, and they're, they're hurting a lot right now because of how intense it's gotten over there. Um, for organizations that are kind of helping refugees in Romania, there's an organization that um, helped me called Heart to Heart. They're more of like a Christian-based organization that helped with orphans prior, but they drastically changed um, their function to help refugees. Um, so they're housing refugees. They offer free food every day. Pollard will also have a number of Venmo accounts to donate to at the concert that can put money directly into the hands of Ukrainians on the ground. She adds, it's about the small things as well. So if you can get word out and even just say a you know, silent prayer or send some good vibes that way, I mean, that means a lot. The Stand With Ukraine benefit concert will take place at the Telluride Transfer Warehouse on Thursday, May 19th from 5 to 8 p.m. Telluride Town Park will have a bit of a facelift this summer as almost $2 million worth of work comes to completion. A little less than half of that is for improvement and expansion of the Town Park Skate Park. The remodel kicked off in the second half of last year. Telluride Parks and Recreation Director Stephanie Jacquet says the work is moving along well. We now have concrete. Uh, they started their first concrete on last Friday and pretty much doing it every day from now until late May. Jacquet spoke to Telluride Town Council earlier this week. The remodel involves incorporating the Voodoo Skate Park, which is slated to be demolished to make room for a new affordable housing project, into the existing facility. So a much larger footprint. I'm closely watching the boundaries to make sure it works with all the other uses, including festivals, and a really exciting project for the community. Councilmember Dan Enright is curious to see how access to the remodeled skate park will work during festivals. Jacquet admits that will be a new challenge, but something they will figure out. The current plan is to there'll be a stairs on the northeast corner of the skate park, kind of right where the roof structure currently is. And there'll be a fenced walkway slash shoot, I guess, um, from the warming hut corner. So people will be able to access the site most likely on the west bridge near the post office into the park and then along the west edge of the park and be outside the festival boundary fence to get to the skate park. And then the whole perimeter of the skate park will be fenced off to prevent skate park users from entering the festival and vice versa. So we're pretty much carving that corner out of the festival boundaries. The completion date for the skate park, Jacquet notes, is early June. She says town is also planning to coordinate a public process to determine the next home for the wooden voodoo skate ramps. The other big park project is new campground facilities. Campground facilities project includes new restrooms and showers, a dumpster enclosure. Construction began in December. That project will be done, Jacquet says, by late May. There will be temporary accommodations available between when the campground opens on Friday, May 13th, and then. The budget for those new facilities is roughly $1.2 million. 
Therapy rocks. Puppies are amazing. Put them together and you have the best afternoon of off-season. This week, Tri-County Health Network and the Telluride Humane Society are teaming up for a puppy therapy event to reduce stress and learn about mental health resources. Feel that stress melt away, at least for a moment, with the sweet, sweet embrace of a canine companion. You may even find your new best friend to take home. The puppy therapy event will take place on Friday, May 13th from 11 a.m. to 2 p.m. at Elks Park. Chess, a game of strategy and cunning, a life-size task in Harry Potter, a fun afternoon at the Wilkinson Public Library. Keeping in theme with board games and food, the library is hosting an afternoon of chess and cookies for members of the community to meet, play, and compete. Chess and cookies will take place at the library on Monday, May 16th from 3.30 to 5 p.m. All ages and experience levels are welcome. The second regular session of the 73rd General Assembly is declared adjourned sine die. Colorado lawmakers ended their four-month session on Wednesday evening with less than 30 minutes to spare before the midnight deadline. They spent most of the final day fiercely negotiating and debating a bill aiming to prevent people from overdosing on fentanyl. It passed with bipartisan support and will toughen criminal penalties for people caught dealing the drug. It will also make it a felony to possess at least one gram. Governor Jared Polis says he will sign it. Polis is calling the session historic. It includes the biggest budget in state history, and the governor says bills to pay for preschool classes, prevent air pollution, and give out $400 tax refund checks are the highlights. There's a major new development in the unsolved murder of Kaylin Schultz and Crystal Turner. Authorities have named a suspect in the case nearly nine months after the Moab couple's remains were found at a campsite in the LaSalle Mountains. KZMU's Justin Higginbottom has more. Yesterday, the Grant County Sheriff's Office identified Adam Pinkowitz as a suspect in the double homicide of Schulte and Turner. Pinkowitz committed suicide in late September at an undisclosed location. Authorities say he told someone he was responsible for the murders and provided information only known to investigators. Here's Sheriff Stephen White at a press conference broadcast by Fox 13. Yes, he he was he'd kind of he kind of what they call the van lifestyle. He he was one of these guys that he kind of camped out everywhere. Um, so he just his I think his address here was the post office. White says Pinkowitz was only in Moab for a few months. He worked with Turner at a McDonald's in town. Police have put him in the LaSalle's during the time of the murders and say he left Utah soon after. Private investigator Jason Jensen notes in a court TV interview that Pinkowitz didn't pick up his final paycheck from that McDonald's. Pinkowitz was an early person of interest for authorities, and Kylan Schulte's father, Sean Paul, says he received a tip about him at his clue booth in Moab. Sheriff White says he's not yet sure of Pinkowitz's relationship with either Schulte or Turner. In a press release, the sheriff's office says they recently located and seized his vehicle, a black 2007 Toyota Yaris. It was after that they discovered his death. The office says information about Pinkowitz's confession was also only discovered recently. White again. I will feel better when we have a total closure on this, but it's a huge relief. Um, it's, I, I can't put it into words right now. This is, this, 
I'm so proud of, you know, my staff's working hard. They're continuing to, they've never quit. They've kept this going. There hasn't been a day that we haven't worked on this. Questions remain regarding the investigation, where the car was found, and how recently. Also, when did the sheriff's department learn of Pinkowitz's confession? A day after authorities found Schulte and Turner's bodies, the sheriff's office said in a press release that the public was in no danger. They later recommended caution. The announcement of Pinkowitz as a suspect comes a week after volunteers erected a large billboard offering a $20,000 reward for information leading to an arrest and conviction. Celebrity investigator Dog the Bounty Hunter also arrived in Moab this week to help with the case. We know they're out there. And we know, and they know, we're going to find them. Our investigation skills are unbelievable. We have also divine intervention. That's Dog in a video posted to his Twitter. Kylan's father expressed gratitude for Dog's help in publicizing the case. Sheriff White says he has had no contact with the bounty hunter. The investigation is still ongoing. Authorities haven't yet recovered a weapon, and they still don't have a motive. White again. Like I say, any information, please come forward. We want to know anybody that had contact with him or might have seen that vehicle on the mountain or even in town. We'd like to talk to them. And we want to tell the public thank you for their continued support of supporting us in our office. Justin Higginbottom, Rocky Mountain Community Radio. A new report by the U.S. Interior Department is sharply critical of the Indian boarding school system used as a tool to assimilate indigenous people during the 19th and early 20th centuries. KSJD's Lucas Brady-Woods reports. The federal Indian boarding school system included hundreds of institutions across 37 states. Secretary of the Interior Deb Holland says the report finds that schools inflicted intergenerational trauma through family separations and cultural eradication. The languages, cultures, religions, traditional practices, and even the history of Native communities, all of it, was targeted for destruction. Nowhere is that clearer than in the legacy of federal Indian boarding schools. Burial sites were also identified at more than 50 of the schools, and the report says more will likely be found as investigations continue. The report also includes the first-ever official inventory of federally-run Indian boarding schools, including maps showing their locations. According to the Interior Department, the report is part of an ongoing effort to address the school's troubled legacy. For Rocky Mountain Community Radio, I'm Lucas Brady-Woods in Cortez, Colorado. The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for increasing clouds tonight with a low around freezing. Friday should be sunny during the day and mostly clear at night with a high near 60 degrees and a low in the mid-30s. Saturday, expect sunny skies with a high near 70 degrees and wind gusts as high as 25 miles per hour. Sunday should be mostly clear with a low around 40 degrees. This has been the news for Thursday, May 12th. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 970-728-3206. And now, a personal commentary. Hello Telluride, this is Megan Barry, Director of Rainbow Preschool and Rockies After School Program and Summer Camp. After a two-year hiatus, Rainbow Rockies and Rascals Toddler Program are hosting our annual fundraiser and it is an extra special year. We will be celebrating 50 years of Rainbow Preschool. This is a huge milestone and we want the whole community to come out and celebrate with us.
if you are a student who attended our programs, if you are a former board member, staff member, or program parent, we want you there. If you've seen our adorable kids walking through town, or if you've walked past our doors, we want you there. After all, it's all about community, and we couldn't have created such a special place for children without you all. So please mark your calendars for Friday, June 3rd at the Transfer Warehouse from 5.30 to 9.30. Tickets are $15 at the door or from any program parent. A ticket gets you entered into a 2022-2023 ski pass raffle, free champagne while it lasts, delicious food, a silent live auction emceed by Zoe Donnell, live music by Sean Mahoney and Flatliner Express with some special guests, a 50-year slideshow, and a community event to remember. Some amazing auction items will include a balloon ride for two, wood flooring, Wagner skis, fine jewelry, hotel stays, festival passes, and much more. So come on out to the Transfer Warehouse on June 3rd, and we can't wait to celebrate with you all. Thank you, Kodo. Opinions broadcast over KOTO are those of the speakers. You are also invited to express your views after the news or on access each weekday at around 4 p.m. If you would like to comment, please contact a staff person here at Kodo. We encourage you to speak out on important public issues.